Yeah. I'm rolling now. I'm rolling on the recordagers. Oh, yeah. Counting it down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome to Missing Out. I am Tari J. We're rustling cattle? Uh, yeah. I feel like I was inspired by you. By me? Yeah. By me doing what? I don't know. Just you in general. Do I I, rustle cattle? Yeah, you're a rustic guy, dude. Is that what I do? I come home. Sometimes I I'll fall into a really deep sleep, and I'll come home, and I'll have a lasso around my shoulder and mud on my boots when I wake up. Yeah. And I won't know how any of it got there. Is it possible that I've been rustling cattle in my dreams? I assume so. Huh. You're a, you're a dream rustler. Well, I'm dream rustler Lex Michael. I'm uh, all over social media at the Lex Michael, uh, soon to be at the dream rustler Lex Michael. I hope that one's open. You might have to be Dream Wrestler six seven nine. Wouldn't that be terrible? The the Dream Wrestler Lex Michael seven seven four or something. <laughs> I think you just have to like, I don't know, be clever about the way you do the dreams and the wrestles. Oh, I just you could like do it like with D R E E M Z. Right. Dreams Russell. Yeah, make dreams it Russell. real hip. But even then, it's like still has to be like seven oh eight, because Dreams Wrestler Lex Michael. Uh, one through seven oh seven were somehow taken. That's true. It's real popular. Mm. Well, I mean, that's a that's a issue for future Lex. Uh, you know what? Which one Lex. isn't taken? We're all. I exist at all points in the timeline simultaneously. I am past, present, and future Lex all that's at once. That's true. If you were like looking in a mirror, there would be an infinite amount of you, and then you'd like move your hand and snap, and all of them would snap. And then uh, it would go in an in infinite amount. And then you'd ask about your parents. Then it'd just be you. I am not quite clear on exactly when you lost me, but <laughs> I have no frame of reference by the time you get to the end of that sentence for what you're talking about. Okay. It was a very specific reference. Doesn't matter. Um, so <laughs> there's going to be something, there's something else I wanted to tag up on and it's gone now. Nope. It's gone. It's gone. Now. Today we are talking, what are we talking about, about? Uh, Paris, Texas, yes. the 1984 film. Yes. Uh, directed by Vim Vendors, written by Sam Shepard uh, with some assistance uh, from LM Kit Carson starring Harry Dean Stanton, Dean Stockwell, and Natasha Kinski. Now I wanted to talk about this movie a couple of months ago. Uh, we were recording this in December of 20. 17. 17? That's, that's when we are. Yep. 2017. So in September, on September 15th of this year, we lost legendary character actor Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, I believe he had made it He made it to age 91. So it's a pretty good run. Uh, a life, uh, uh, many of the days, most of the days, in fact, past a certain point full of uh, smoking, packs of cigarettes, hard drinking. It's incredible that he lived anywhere near as long as he did. And in fact, he outlived uh, most of us. Uh, one of the greatest, greatest character actors of all time. He has, he had this quality where he could simultaneously. This is what I, I tweeted out like right after he passed away. Uh, look at that subtly. I'm plugging my Twitter. Yeah. Uh, he, he always, he always managed to be the coolest guy on screen while simultaneously feeling like the warmest guy on screen as well. Massive body of work. If you don't know the name Harry Dean Stanton, you if you watch movies, you know his face. Uh, maybe maybe you found him first in Paris, Texas. Maybe you saw Alien. Uh, maybe you've seen him in a couple of his collaborations with uh, David Lynch. He shows up in Wild at Heart and he shows up in uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me and the new series from this year. Uh, a lot of people, actually, a lot of people might know him from his cameo in The Avengers uh, when Bruce Banner, uh, after the helicarrier battle, when Bruce Banner crashes back to Earth, he basically crashes through the ceiling of a, a warehouse yeah. and he's found by a janitor. The guy who says, are you an alien from outer space, an alien? And Banner goes, no. And then he, he says, well, then, son, you've got a condition. That's that's Harry Dean. Oh. So a lot of people, a lot of people know Harry Dean from that, which is totally fine. You know, I love me some Avengers. Yes. It was a little troubling to me the number of uh, pieces I saw in the wake of his passing that said Avengers actor Harry Dean Stanton dies at age ninety one. And I'm like, you couldn't, you couldn't pull up his IMDb and find one more title. Like you couldn't, even Paris, Texas wouldn't have occurred to you. Paris, Texas, nineteen eighty four's Paris, Texas was his first real lead role. Okay, and uh, we'll we'll jump into this movie um, 
uh, I guess in short order here, but I got like right up top. I mean, there, there are two, to me, there are two stars of the movie. One is, one is obviously Harry Dean, uh, Harry Dean Stanton. And one to me is the, like the, the landscape of America as depicted in this movie. Hmm. I think as depicted, it, it feels like, it feels to me like an America that doesn't exist anymore. And if you went looking for it, you would be sorely disappointed because it, I don't think you find these vast landscapes of, uh, seemingly endless possibility anymore. Even if you can find a place that looks physically a little bit like what's depicted in sections of this movie, I, I think that feel is lost because I think what you're seeing in Paris, Texas is uh, a snapshot of a time and a place, a time and a place that does truly feel limitless. I don't think the world, especially because of how so how tightly connected we are to each other, how much noise there is now, even in quiet spaces, mm-hmm. I don't think that feeling exists anymore. Interesting. And Harry Dean Stanton, because of his persona, because of the energy he brings, because of his look, and also because of the way Travis, his character, is is so nonverbal for so much of this movie he almost reflects the environment that he steps out of at the beginning of the movie, if that makes sense. He's almost like, interestingly, so, okay, you know what? I don't want to get too too far. I don't want to lose the thread too much. So maybe we talk about what, what the actual plot of the movie is, because it's not a plot-heavy movie. And then from there, I think a lot of this conversation is best served by uh, tracking how they arrive at that plot. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think we were specifically talking about the actor uh, Harry Harry Dean Dean Stanton. Stanton. Really? Yeah, really, we're doing that. We're doing it. Um, uh, but yeah, I guess it does. It would help to kind of give context in terms of what he was portraying in this movie, which uh, essentially from the beginning he is wandering throughout this desert. Um, and he passes out, and so uh, his brother gets in, uh, gets a call, and so he's connected with his family again. Uh, his After, brother, and important to, to note, he's been missing for a couple of years. Right, no one knows where he's been. He had a family, but he left his wife and his son. The son, uh, who's played by the kid actor's named Hunter Carson, who is the son of writer L. M. Kit Carson, and also the actress Karen Black. Oh, which is interesting. Um, the son goes to live with. Uh, the brother mm-hmm. and the brother's played by Dean Stockwell, by the way, who yes. another, another guy with a big screen career, uh, another guy who's worked with Lynch actually in blue velvet. He's the guy who lives yes. into the Roy Orbison song. He's also uh, Cavill in Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. He was approached by Vim vendors uh, at the time that they were, they were going to make this movie. And apparently Dean Stockwell had become so disheartened with acting as a profession. He had essentially quit and had become a real estate agent. And so it, weirdly, you'd think it might be harder to get that guy on board, but the way I heard Vim Vendors describe it is essentially at that point, Dean Stockwell felt he had nothing to lose. Hmm. So he said, sure, why not? And now, of course, cut to cut to however many decades later, right? You could throw on Battlestar Galactica in the early 2000s, and he's an angry robot man. Spoilers for Battlestar Galactica, I guess. <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously. Half of them are angry robot people, you guys. Ha- spoilers. Ha- literally a you full are just half of them are angry Battle robot Star people. Galactic for so many people. To be fair, though, they don't really... He's one where it's not a big twist. Like, you meet that character, and within a couple of episodes, you meet another one. So it's like, you know that he's a robot person well in advance of the other characters. It's not like if I told you, bleep, <laughs> And we're back. Uh, so, yeah, we just—that was a mess. So just, we'll just uh, some tight, some tight, uh, clever editing. But <laughs> stop revealing the sausage. Uh, that's what uh, that's what we do here. We reveal the sausage. Anyway, uh, uh, I I uh, I think that's I mean that's the bulk of the plot. Is is then Travis comes out of out of this self-imposed exile and his brother is trying to pull him a little bit back towards humanity, towards communicating, trying to ask him what the hell happened? Where have you been? What have you, what have you been doing? Yeah. And it becomes, it becomes a bit about Travis's way back. It's a, it's a road movie, uh, but it's also not. Well, yes. Yeah, so you spend half of the time on the road, um, whether it be him and his Travis and his brother, or Travis and his son, 
But the other half is him essentially trying to hang out in a house or him in hotels. Like, re- or like Essentially rediscovering how to be a part of the world. Right. Right. And that's, that I think is what I wanted to get at because we could talk about how the plot ultimately resolves itself. And I mean, I feel like we have to talk about the way this movie ends because yes. I find this ending to be staggeringly powerful. Um, but it is essentially about Travis returning to the world returning to being a human being and it doesn't seem like he was necessarily going to make that choice for himself it was only because he ends up in the care of this doctor that his brother's even called right um but once he's he's starting to be pulled back once he meets his son again he finds he finds a purpose that i think he he had allowed himself to become disconnected from that he had allowed himself to run away from mm-hmm. and it's it's a story essentially about trying to right the deepest, most profound wrong. Right. And and knowing that you can't fully. I guess, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you've seen the movie. Um, but also, this is a tough movie to spoil because I feel like I could tell you the entire plot. I could tell you exactly what happens, but it's not the what happens in this movie that, to me, makes it so compelling. There's really not a lot of stuff that happens. It's the way these things are presented. It is yeah. it is the craftsmanship uh, behind the way that they are depicted that I think makes it so, so, so uh, almost overwhelming in moments. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that the real power in this movie lies in all of the different character interactions and like you get a real sense of what drives these people and like you you connect with them on so many different levels in terms of like their regret or their the way that they view themselves as not able to do things um or like even their fear of loss like taking for example the uh the brother Walt and his his wife and this idea that he wants his his uh his brother to be a part of a, like normal society but that also means that it could potentially mean him losing his son right you know so i feel like those are the the big pieces and and kind of to what you're saying about the the landscape and things of that sort there are so many of these shots where it's just a man walking and it's just a a never-ending landscape well so but you talk about the landscape right yeah we and i alluded to this profound wrong that he he realizes that it is on him to correct if he's able to and that wrong that i refer to is you you find you you spend the movie with Travis and there's uh, there's constant allusion to the fallout of of his family unit and what happened and how they all ended up in the situation that they're in now but you don't know what happened until you get to this final long scene in this in this almost uh, this the booth girls um yeah which was apparently this was an idea that uh for this ending that Vim Vendors and uh Kit Carson had together and then I think Sam Shepard went and wrote it over like two days perhaps and harry dean stanton was real committed to because it's a long monologue i mean we're, the, the way they were talking about they were, they were like oh this is like t- easy 10 pages of stuff yeah um and harry dean was real committed to getting it all complete word perfect uh in one take and that's how they wanted to shoot it they wanted to hold one take on him the entire time mm-hmm. um and the way uh, the way Vin Vendors tells it, he's like, and Harry Dean had never really learned more than two words together in his life. So Natasha Kinski, who plays Jane, uh, so the story goes, helped drum the dialogue into Harry Dean Stanton's head over 48 hours without sleeping. And then they committed super hard to, to doing it. And they, they did it. And he had it. And every, they would just shoot the entire thing. It's like they'd put a new magazine in. And they would just go for 10 minutes. Every time Harry Dean messed up a line, they would just start over from the top. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly powerful in the movie and what you learn, it's not just the way it's presented, the subject matter in the speech is incredibly powerful as well. You realize that his family unit disintegrated. I mean, this is the the cliff notes version, but because of his monstrous behavior, because of his obsessions, because of his fixations, because of his lack of trust and how it led him to behave in certain ways, he is essentially the monster that created the situation that scattered his family to the winds. Right. And he realizes his great purpose, which is not, it's not why he came out of the desert, but his great purpose that he finds is to reunite his family. But but what what makes that ending such a gut punch is he's able to reunite his wife and his son. But he he, he can't escape the reality that it's his fault that they're all in that position. He did this. Yeah. So he's in a position where I can I can put my family back together, but I can't be part of it. 
And then at the end, we see him return, essentially return to the dust. Yeah. That's and that's too. It's like I I don't think this was anybody's intention, but it feels very much to me like a story about a man who returns from the dead to accomplish one very specific last piece of business, and having done so, returns to the dead. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's not. I don't think it is meant to be read literally as such, but that's essentially the story. Right. He he comes out of the dust of the landscape and returns to the dust at the end of the story, having having maybe not saved anybody's lives, but yeah. hopefully hopefully pointed his wife and his son uh in a direction where they'll they'll find their way to a good place a good place that that they likely couldn't arrive at if he was there and it's ooh it's it's heartbreaking and it's heavy because if if you've you know I'm not I'm not an old person uh, yet um but I I have to imagine the older you get unless you're exceptionally lucky the more the more you might be able to look back on whether or not it really haunts you you look back on a life lived and you'll look back on successes and inevitably you'll look back on failures and you'll look back on things that what, what could I have done? What could I have done differently? And of course, everybody's got that, got this, these moments of fantasy, right? Where it's like, well, yeah. if I could just go back and I could fix this one thing, then everything would be completely fine. And I love that this movie suggests, well, yeah, maybe, but that doesn't mean they're going to be fine for you. Mm-hmm you can't always put the teacup back together. Right. If that, right? Like, does that yes. track? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, as you can assume, this is my first time seeing the movie, listeners. Um, and I, I felt, like, in the moment, I felt all of those pieces. But in thinking about it afterwards, it I had so many issues with it in that, I, I I get the idea of him trying to reconnect his son and and his son's mom, but like in order to do so, he essentially had to break up another family and then kidnap this child and then essentially like left them to their own devices. But she's still like a a, a talk booth girl, and this kid is still missing from his his family. So I feel like. So should we clarify really quickly what what talk booth girl is just uh, in case somebody's listening and they're like what is it because honestly this is not a this is not a concept that I'm super familiar with outside of say this movie I get what like a you know like what a nudie booth is right and that's a professional technical term right nudie yeah, booth nudie booth um this doesn't seem to be that this seems to be a situation where men will go into this room and there's a, a phone and a window in front of them and then the the room behind the window will light up and it's a different themed room and a girl will come in and sit on the phone with them and just talk and i guess it's it's dirty talk but they don't really ever suggest it absolutely has to be right so maybe it's just it could be like yeah sometimes guys want to want to be weird and gross and creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it could just be sometimes they just want to go sit and talk to someone. It's probably cheaper than the therapist. I would imagine. I mean, and not, 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 not for nothing, but like, I mean, most of the time when people enlist services like, um, like adult worker, adult workers, sex workers, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, when they enlist the services of sex workers, it's because they feel lonely. There are some times when yep. people will hire a, um, a worker just because they want someone to sit and talk with them. It doesn't necessarily have to be a sex thing. It mostly is a, a lack of intimacy. So like, I get the idea of the booths. Like it's, it's just yeah. someone to just connect with even for like 30 minutes. Right. Uh, but so that's what that's what Jane, his estranged wife, has fallen into doing. Um, but so I, I'm with you on everything you're saying. But see, for me, and, and I agree, there, there's an incredibly problematic nature to the way in which he's going about doing everything, even when it is the quote-unquote right thing to do. Right. I, I'm with you. To me, that makes this far more compelling because Travis is not, Travis is not a heroic figure. If any part of you is watching this movie going, oh, this guy's he's just a he's just a misunderstood hero, and by the end of the story, he's gonna be our guy. No, that that last monologue should pretty much undo any of that delusion. Yeah, like Travis is not a hero. Travis is a is a is a fuck up. He's a total. Fu- he he means well. Yeah. I believe he means well, even when he, we finally learn the truth of what happened. I still believe he he's a fundamentally good person but he can't help but approach everything in this real skewered 
way skewered like yeah with a skewer right skewed i meant skewed. but you're skewered why not right. why not look we all got it everyone at home was like yeah no that it checks except for like the seven people that were pulling out their swords and getting ready to come out here and like sit with us and hold swords to our faces yeah and well uh, jokes on them we don't even exist yeah we're actually we're algorithms yeah it's we can't you tell seriously do i sound like somebody that exists no 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 one talks like this yeah you were we both were constructed to be the most appealing thing to our demographic audience we're just avatars of the podcast right like if you bump into us out in the world what you're actually seeing is a construct right It's it's almost like a terminator but we don't really do anything we just talk that's true yeah yeah i mean back in the day probably early 80s we would have just been in a booth uh, and people would pay and come to talk to us about different movies or TV or music. You know, you just and they'd be like, "What's a podcast? I don't get it." And they'd leave. Yeah, yeah. They'd be like, this is the eighties, <laughs> of course. Yeah, that was ah. that was like one. You know, uh, uh, you know, like peace and love was like the you know late sixties. That was like the mantra, right? Yeah. What's a podcast? Is the is the eighties mantra? Right. That's how they started every that's episode their, that's of their peace I Love the Eighties. Yeah. Uh, on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's uh, like radio for your phone. <laughs> um, but so, but so, I do, I do like that aspect of it. He's not, yeah. he's not heroic. He wants, he wants to do what he perceives to be the right thing. But also, it's very much like in life. Uh, in life, many of us, and I think we're all. I'm certainly guilty of it at times. Um, I assume everybody is at times. We get tunnel vision, right? And we don't always see, even if we are fundamentally good people, even if uh, our intentions are nothing but noble, we don't always perceive the effects that our actions might have on people that are uh, on our periphery. Yeah. And I, I see that reflected here. Like, Travis isn't really trying to do anything to anybody. Like, especially once we get to the last... uh movement of the movie he's trying to do things for people again what he's what he's trying to do at least on paper is a truly noble beautiful thing right but of course like you point out the doing of it creates a little bit of additional fallout for people around him now it's not fallout uh, uh, to the same degree uh, as the fallout we learn about which which shattered his family unit yeah but still yeah he's despite his best intentions creating uh creating other problems around him. This is actually, we were just talking about this before uh, we jumped on the mic. There have been a lot of big stories this year in 2017 that are about that idea. Now, obviously, this movie came out in 1984, but it feels very appropriate to be talking about this type of character now. Uh, the, the most recent massive example, without getting into any spoilers at all, was is the new Star Wars, The Last Jedi, is right. largely, it's about a lot of things. It's great, by the way. Uh, it's about is about a lot of things, but one of the things it is about is that your heroes, despite their best intentions, are not necessarily going to save you. Yeah. Uh, and even if they try, their best intentions might have inadvertently led to disastrous results. Yeah. And I think weirdly, uh, Travis is uh, if he's a hero, he's certainly a hero. How about this? If and if Travis is Luke Skywalker, he's. 2017 Luke Skywalker, not 1977 Luke Skywalker. <laughs> um, yes, I would agree. I mean, and just kind of jumping on that, how that those values apply to today. Like, I feel like in 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 modern society, there's a lot of people, especially with what's going on these days, that are are waiting for you know people in a specific group um, to jump up and and kind of. If I just hang on, the Avengers will save me. Yeah, okay, so this was was something else that we were... I guess this is actually... I was like, well, we'll save this conversation for another day, but this is actually a little bit relevant, and it speaks to why the the problematic elements of Travis's approach, I I deeply appreciate that they're being uh, depicted this way. And of course, Sam Shepard's doing the writing, and Sam Shepard is a master of depicting truly... He he passed away uh, fairly recently as well but was a master of making truly shattered people seem, no matter how monstrous their behavior at times, seem uh, incredibly real and incredibly human and loaded with uh, such uh, pathos. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we were talking about 
before we jumped on Mike about how I, I do not agree that our entertainment is responsible for the infantilization of grownups. I don't agree. I don't see evidence that supports that. What I do agree with is that if a grown-up has already become infantilized, never grew out of being infantilized, or has chosen to regress into infantilization, a lot of our popular entertainment is probably not going to help. Uh, I've talked at at length over and over and over again, whether you wanted me to or not, about how much <laughs> I love all of the superhero stuff. Right. I do think if you have if you have made the choice to infantilize yourself a little bit, I I think there's something very appealing in the notion that if you just if you just knuckle up and you just grit your teeth and push through it, eventually someone, one of these chosen one iconic heroes, is gonna come along and they're gonna save us. Right. And homies, like Spider Man's not real. <laughs> like he's not I love I love it too. I love that idea. Everybody wants to be saved but they're not going to save us what we've been seeing now in some of our really big stories this year dealing with uh some of our big iconic heroes and yes star wars is a big example but there have been a number of others this is uh, here i go work twin peaks into this show too what <laughs> Twi uh, twin peaks like like the last jedi is about a lot of things but one of the big things that it's about is your iconic boy scout do-gooder uh archetypical hero will fail yeah like you can't you despite their best intentions their best intentions may 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 bear terrible consequences um now this is obviously uh the story of paris texas is nowhere near as bombastic as operatic as out there as a twin peaks or a star wars but i think i think what it's asking us to do and i don't mean it's asking us i don't mean this this they all sat down and said we really want to make people question their own actions and morals but what it what it inadvertently leads me to do yeah. is really consider the impact of my behavior on others. What is what is the footprint of my action on the people around me? Because you might believe, I might believe, that my actions are completely altruistic, are completely positive. But the person to my right or to my left who has no stake in what I'm trying to accomplish might be affected by what I'm doing. Yeah. And no matter what my intention is, I mean, I may not be the hero I think I am. I may not be the do-gooder I think I am because while I'm focusing on what's directly in front of me, I'm causing problems for what's to the left and the right. Right. Does that all track? I yes. just talked for a but, minute there. Does that all track? Yes. All right. So here's my question, though. If if we're kind of going down this, this uh, path or rabbit hole in that I don't think that you can ever really know the grand scheme effects of the things that you're doing. I think that it might me personally, I feel like you can only um, set a direction for yourself, uh, go, go as, as passionately and as strongly as possible down that road and hope that it comes out with the best results for not just you, but everyone else. And like we, we, we preach empathy on this show a lot. And so like being able to consider as many people as you can, but ultimately like you can never really gauge that. Well, not, not truly. It's, it, you're right. I mean, it's very difficult without, without a degree of omnipotence. It's very difficult to track every, like when you drop the pebble into the water, every right little ripple outwards uh, ad infinitum. No, it's, it's not possible we don't have the perspective yeah. i will say there are there are there are plenty of areas though where i think people could do better than they are yeah i, I mean come on like go to go to a trader joe's right and nobody's being malicious but spend five minutes in a trader joe's and it becomes clear how little awareness anyone has of other people <laughs> no but, but i mean like it's funny and it's a funny example because nobody's being hurt in that example right but it's actually pretty stunning it's actually real if you just and you can't just hang out trader joe's if you you're listening, if you've been to a Trader Joe's, you know what I'm talking about. No Trader Joe's that I've ever seen looks like it was designed to accommodate a third of the people it has to accommodate at any time. You can't really stand off to the side and watch. There's just not enough room. But if you're moving around, you really take a second to look around in almost any other environment, right? These might be the most competent people you've ever met. You put them all together in a supermarket, they're suddenly so lost, so lost. And that's fine. There's a lot of choices, but they'll stop right in the middle of a walkway, just stop as if nobody else is in the store. <laughs> no, no, but I'm, but I'm serious. No, no, I, and this I is hear a totally, you and I'm laughing just because it's, it, and it's this funny. is a totally harmless example. Right. But 
not all these examples are this innocuous. That's no. just a really easy, t- so simple, sanitized one. Right. Um, no, and I appreciate. Yeah, you get my the, point, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like I, I, I appreciate the like non-super d- divisive example because it, 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 everyone is everybody point. has experienced that, right? If you've been to a tra- if you've been to a, re- if you've been to any supermarket, I was about to start like listing off supermarkets. Yeah. I don't have to. No, if you've been all. to a Piggly Wiggly, I'm sure you've experienced this at least one time, right? And it's, it's just, it's not rooted in they're a bad person. Of course not. It's not even rooted in they're they're dumb or they don't have any powers of perception at all. It's just we have these lapses. Is my point. We yeah. all of us have these lapses sometimes. Right. It's it's just it's very it's so odd when you t- intentionally take a step back and look for other people having those moments. Yeah, and I think that like kind of uh, in in connecting it to this movie, I feel like I like the idea of even if you can't track all of the things, all of the effects of what you do. It, it's also really important to be able to step step back and really, like, ex- examine yourself. Um, when well, these two, like, the examples we see in the movie, now, obviously, past is past, but what Travis is doing, these, uh, these errors he's making in judgment that we see in the movie, these aren't, you know, these aren't, like, butterfly effect things. These are things that with a little more wherewithal, you could have, mitigated right i think but also to be fair dude's been wandering around in the desert for like two years it's hard it's hard to begrudge him a few lapses in social graces i suppose yeah um yes but i mean and but the next step after self-awareness is is amends you know being able to acknowledge that you were wrong and find try to find at least some way to make it right or acknowledge it with the people that you've wronged i feel like that's ultimately what he does yes I mean, that's what he attempts to do. Well, I think he makes a very genuine... He makes the best attempt I think he can. I think being the person that he is, I think that is the best attempt he could make. It doesn't, doesn't certainly doesn't fix everything. Right. It certainly doesn't undo anything. But I, I, be, I believe, based on the information that we, we are presented with in the story, I think that is the best version of that that he was capable of. Yeah. And I don't think anything that he does... That any any errors he makes uh, in judgment getting the three of them to that point, I don't think any of it is any more than an inconvenience. It's a little bit like what well, you probably should have communicated a little bit better with your with your brother, maybe. Like if you if you just talked about it long enough, you probably could have we could have all worked on this together. Yeah, it might have been fine. But again, Travis Travis is almost more of a child than the child is for right. for much of this movie. So I don't think it is necessarily. I think all of the actions in the past are entirely his fault and he finally owns them. Yeah. But I don't think a lot of the the lapses in judgment that we see in this movie, like, yes, they're his actions. So, yes, it, you make the argument that it is very much his fault. In my opinion, it, you can only blame him for so much of it because he's he's almost like a newborn again. Yeah. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't have the awareness that people have. He doesn't have the developed sets of behaviors that, say, his brother has anymore. And part of what the movie, I think, and I don't, I don't know that this was anybody's intention either, but part of what the movie ended up becoming about was uh, different ways that masculinity presents uh, itself, different ways that we uh, communicate as men, and then different ways that men and women communicate with each other as well. And I think a lot of that just came out organically out of the story once it was set Mm -hmm. i don't know if that if anybody went in saying we're going to make a movie that is about those things but you're able to track that and you're able to track different different forms of masculinity and communication even just comparing actually actually comparing travis to his brother and travis to his son yeah that's it that's the end of my thought oh okay well i was you had this look in your eyes like go on and I was like yeah I I I mean I I will in a minute but like that thought was done got it I mean well I'd like I really want you to go into that perspective a little bit more and that I don't know if I necessarily saw the the um masculinity communication aspect of it it's not they don't it's not something they ever put a hat on right I think I mean it's something that I think is more uh inferred okay than is made explicit but if you watch, I mean, look at, so Dean Stockwell's uh, brother character, he's he's very put together. He seems very much like, especially for that region of the world, like he's successful, he's got a house, he's got a wife. He doesn't, they don't have their own uh, children, but they essentially have a kid in the form of his brother's kid. Yeah. It's, that's like the, 
you know, especially in the the 80s, right? Like that's almost the it's like the American dream. It's like this is what this is what this is what it means. This is what it means to be a man in America. Okay. And then Travis wanders out of the desert and it throw it just throws that entire picture off kilter in yeah. a very big way. And is Travis is Travis less of a man than his brother is because he's not that person? Hmm. Now this is obviously this is a rhetorical question because some somebody's answer might be yes. I would say no, but I would say Travis is Travis, especially once he starts to to reconnect with himself and with the world a little bit. I think he's it's it's every bit has how do I like it's an awkward phrasing, but it's like every bit as valid as a presentation of masculinity as as his brothers. It just it looks completely different, right? It it and. Comparing it to, to this is a, as you can tell, like I'm thinking through this as I'm saying it because I've really only thought about this broadly before yeah. and never, never in a situation where I actually had to explain my, my thoughts on this, but it's like, um, so that's his brother on one end of the spectrum, right? And then you have a literal child on the other end of the spectrum. And that's where, that's where Travis is. Like when he reemerges from the desert, almost as a newborn, almost as a child himself, he's closer yeah. to there. And so I feel a little bit like too, he's being. And again, this is not what the movie is about plot-wise, certainly. But I think he's in a constant state of being pulled between those two states of being, mm-hmm. between those two realizations of what it is to be a man, to be himself. Uh, the whole first third of the movie is his brother trying to like pull stuff out of him, make him talk, make him be more like quote unquote normal. Yeah. And is that is it necessary for Travis to be that? Interesting. And this is, again, this is all stuff that's not, it's not lampshaded in the movie. Right. This is all stuff. The biggest reason that I wanted to bring this in and talk about it, interestingly, not because of what I think about it, but because of what I feel about it, if that makes sense. The way this movie makes me feel. And so I actually wanted to put myself in a position where I had to try and articulate some of the things that this movie makes me feel when I watch it. Because so much, like, like I said early in this conversation, it is a really tough movie to spoil because there's not much plot wise yeah to it um i guess you could spoil like whether or not he ends up back with his family at the end but that doesn't even seem like it's all that important plot wise i not think really. it's really only the, not only important i think it is most important as far as what it does what it does to the mood of the entire story retroactively like okay. that new information recolors everything you've been experiencing and what was melancholy to begin with is suddenly there's there's so much additional weight added to it. It's like um, what's like what's 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 worse than melancholy, but not like abject horror. I don't know emotions, bro. You right. I'm I'm bad at them. Right, but it's it everything becomes so weighted and so grounded and so real. And yeah, uh, we we get pulled out of this ethereal space that we've been operating in this entire time, and suddenly everything is so. Uh, so crushingly immediate mm-hmm. and you and you watch Travis accept the weight of his mistakes and you the audience are then suddenly saddled with the weight of Travis's mistakes and then you think back on the entire story you've just been watching and you realize that Travis isn't I mean yeah Travis is a little weird but it's not that Travis is weird Travis is a, a deeply haunted person yeah a deeply haunted deep deeply sorrowful person and you don't you get you get the melancholy just just watching Harry Dean uh, very subtly emote. In mm-hmm. fact, he's got he's he had one of those faces like he didn't have to do much of anything, and he's fascinating to look at. Yeah, but you get to the end, and retroactively, you realize you realize everything that was happening, and mm-hmm. those moments of why is he being so weird, and his brother trying to push him, and all that. It, all of it retroactively, not that it becomes different. It's still the same plot stuff happening. Right. The, the entire thing, the prism through which you view the entire thing shifts. And suddenly what what you were feeling either takes on a completely different meaning mm-hmm. or you realize what you were feeling is something totally different from the reality of the situation. Which again is something else I think is very much like life. Like we may, we may so strongly perceive our reality to be one thing and then suddenly we receive one new piece of information and we realize our reality in total is not what we thought it was. We're not in the story that we thought we were in. Yeah. Um, Travis, now Travis knows what story he's in the entire time. Yeah. We don't. I mean, I guess it could also be argued that he doesn't necessarily, like, he, to me, 
like especially once we get the information of how he ended up wandering it he feels to me like this guy who has been so insecure and and there's just this really deep emptiness inside of him that he one tried to fill with this woman and then tried to fill with this child mm-hmm. and like she she was mature enough to go I can't use this child to fill the emptiness inside of me. Like, I think that's a line in there, but like, I don't think that he ever realized that that's what he was trying to do and found it easier to be alone than ever try to find a solution to that. That's actually, okay. So that's a really good point. So I actually think I I will amend what I said before. I think Travis is about 50% sure of what story he's in. (laughs) I think, I think, right. Like I, yeah. And I think, I think that, that shows in what we were talking about in, in him trying to do the right thing. He ends up, he ends up causing more problems because he's convinced that he's the, the, he's like an anti-hero. I don't think Travis at any point thinks of himself as heroic. Right. I don't, I just, I can't, I can't see that, but I definitely think he thinks he's on a, he's on a redemption quest of sorts. Mm -hmm. I doubt very strongly he thinks of it in those terms, but if he, if he does see himself on a redemption quest, even if there is some accuracy to that, then you're right. The flip side of that coin would be you're making a mess though. Right. Like that's not the only thing that's happening here. Like just turn your head to the left and right for a second. See, look, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And again too, like we keep talking about the plot stuff, but like real quick, I want to take a step to the side and I just want to talk about the aesthetics of this movie. Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know how anybody like could make a road movie after this, to be honest, because I had never seen, um, and this was the bit when I first saw this movie, when I first saw this movie, uh, the combination of the, the aesthetics and the ideas in the movie, I like walked away from it. And I, I had a moment where I was like, is there a religion based on this? There has to be a religion (laughs) based on this. Is there not? There's apparently not. Um, there should, there should be, uh, it looks beautiful. It, the, the, I mean, like the look of this thing, and it really does. the The landscapes are not only gorgeous to look at, but it truly feels infinite. It truly feels like a almost like a magical, ideal America. Now, because of the story being told, there's also an element of emptiness mm-hmm. to it, which makes the whole thing beautiful and melancholic at the same time. Yeah, and then of course you've got Ry Cooter's music. Uh, Ry Cooter is awesome. Uh, like. At, at some point, like, I, I should, we should talk about, like, we'll bring in, like, some Rykuta records or something, and we could talk about Rykuta, because dude is a beast. Yeah. Um, but doing the score as well, uh, and how there wasn't, to my knowledge, there wasn't a score like this matched with imagery like this in this way before. That's really specific. Yeah. Uh, in this way before. And now, of course, anytime you see, like, an American road story... Mm-hmm. Even if it's not the entirety of of the musical accompaniment, that Ry Cooter influence is almost invariably there, if only subtly. Yeah. Um, but it was some. There's a certain. There's an alchemy to it that is. It's like I know it sounds hokey, but there's a, like a magical alchemy to these combination of aesthetic elements, and it's so. You can you can set a scene, and you can use you know you can use um you can use your imagery and you can use your music and you can create a sense of time and place. It's like, it's so, it's so specific that either, either one of these elements, uh, I think creates a sense of place or almost longing for a place. Mm-hmm. And when you put the two of them together, it's, it, right. it's, it's so, it's so uniquely transportive to a specific, a uh, specific time and place, specific, like a uh, mental landscape. Yeah. Um. In a way that is so to be for me to be so bowled over by a combination of aesthetics that just surface level aesthetics. Yeah. Is rare. But then when you start picking at it, and you realize like this combination of elements is doing so much to tell you a story before we even meet a single character. Yeah. That there's a lot of rambling to get there, <laughs> but I th- that that I think is the big thing is like the amount the just the aesthetic elements the the images, the sound design the music, how much storytelling is being done before. Before we meet Travis, before we hear anybody say a word, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you look at it, it's like if you if you were getting ready to make your your like road movie in 1985, like you're an American, you grew up in like like John Ford movies, you fell deeply in love with Easy Rider uh, at the end of the 60s, and it's like okay, I want to, 
I'm going to do like my great American road movie. And then all of a sudden, 1984, this German dude makes this the greatest of great American road feeling movies. Yeah. How do you not see this in 84 and go, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Why? My life is a joke. Like, what do I do now? Um, And that, too, was something apparently when this movie was released... Very well received in Europe, Japan, a bunch of other places. Not very well received upon its release in America. Some of, and again, I'm I'm hearing this from uh, interviews with Vim Benders. Um, he was talking about I think it was in a 2001 interview that's on the um, Criterion Blu-ray. Uh, he was talking about how there seemed to be this resistance. He said Americans aren't used to somebody else depicting them on their territory. Hmm. And it seemed like there was some resistance. And it seemed like he was actually citing specific feedback. But there seemed to be some real aggressive resistance on the part of American audiences to almost like to humor a a foreigner uh, while he tells this American story. It's like, we don't need a European to tell us about America. That's insane. It's insane. Of course it's insane. I actually think the most, the, the greatest value will be found in asking somebody from outside your bubble to describe what your bubble is like. <laughs> no one inside your bubble is going to have perspective on your bubble. They're in the bubble. Right. Now, of course, people got over it. You know what I mean? But like, and this movie, it won, you know, it, it was big outside of America. It won the Palm d'Or can that year. Very, very well received in other territories. And of course, eventually, Americans got over it. Yeah. But at first, yeah, there was a lot of like, well, German, we don't need to see us coming over there and making German stuff, which, of course, they do. Right. Uh, But I love that Vim Vendors was talking about, see, uh, Europeans tend not to have that issue in his perception. And Mm -hmm. it's because the way he puts it, we're used, we're always used to somebody coming over the border and looking at us. Right. And saying, and and telling our stories. So we're, we're used to, we're okay with it. Yeah. Americans, not so much. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, in the Blu-ray, is there any like BTS or like? There's a just, lot. There's just to um, show like how they made the so film. the so the uh, the biggest reason it took so long to do a Paris Texas episode after Harry Dean Stanton passed away is the day he passed away. I went, I've been I've been waiting to pull the trigger on purchasing the Criterion Paris Texas Blu-ray for a long time. This is good good an excuse as any, I suppose. But of course. Everyone else had the same idea, so it took me a very long time to actually receive my disc, and then we got into October, and we were doing horror movies all month, whatever, so we, we finally were able to circle back around to it. I am not all the way through all of the features on this disc. There is quite a bit. There is a, there's like a 40-some-odd f- minute German interview with Vim Vendors. There's a, a 40... No, actually, that one was like 20, 25. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a 40 some odd minute piece, a collection of interviews from the around the time the movie came out with uh, Vim Vendors, uh, Harry Dean Stanton. Um, hand, I know uh, Dennis Hopper, who made The American Friend with Vim Vendors, does a couple of interviews. So it's about it's about Paris, Texas, but also Paris, Texas in the greater context of uh, Vim Vendors' body of work. Few, there's a, there's interviews with um, a couple of the assistant directors who went on to become directors, like good great directors in their own right, um, talking about their experience working on the movie. Then, of course, uh, it's a Criterion release, so it comes with this 40-some-odd-page booklet mm-hmm. with film essays, interviews, whatever. I am not all the way through it at all. There's a lot of stuff. I'm going to, like, t- tonight when we're done, I'm probably going to go home and, and jump back into it. Yeah. But there's, there's, a, there's a lot there. But a lot of it is more... Um, it's it's perspectives on it, it more than it is uh, like the hardcore, the nitty gritty of how each piece of it was done. There is a commentary on the disc that I wanna I wanna check out. I know it's got Vim Vendors, Harry Dean Stanton, um, maybe Dean Stock. Well, it's got a couple people on it, and I think that's probably where a lot of that real specific scene by scene stuff will be found. Yeah. I'm yeah, and I'm very I'm very much looking forward to checking that out. Like Vim Vendors is a dude who fascinates me. Wings of Desire is another movie. I think at some point we should talk about which yeah. Wings of Desire came after this. Um, but Wings of Desire is uh, Bruno Ganz as an angel uh, is the movie that uh, uh, posited that perhaps Peter Falk, the actor, the late phenomenal actor, Peter Falk mm-hmm. may in fact have been an angel himself sent to earth. So Peter Falk pay, plays himself in this movie. Yeah. And he's, he's, and he's Peter Falk. He's actor Peter Falk who bumps into the Bruno Gans angel character and they talk about being angels. 
Interesting. That's also my headcanon now. <laughs> uh, speaking of Peter Falk, uh, another another movie we got to talk about at some point is uh, The In-Laws with him and Alan Arkin, which is so dang good. Oh, yeah. That has nothing to do with Paris, Texas, other than they both got Criterion releases. So there's that. Nice. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of this. This is a healthy plug for Criterion, who is not as of this moment sponsoring our show. But Criterion, you know how to reach, reach us on uh, uh, yeah. our personal Twitters or our show Twitter. Yeah, which is Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Um, I mean, I'm really, because you were talking about the aesthetics, and I really am interested in, because they had a lot of shots, not just like the long shots of the terrain, but also some that were very specific to like, it's uh, it's it's a sunset where you get all the different colors from the dash and you get the wet road and things of that sort. There's also that really picturesque moment when Harry, uh, also known as Travis, um, is standing in the parking lot and the lighting behind him is green, but all of the the background is silhouetted behind this like uh, yellow, red, and purple sunset. And it's just beautiful. Um, and I just want to know how they, like, if they essentially had a crew just hanging around all day just for the lighting to be perfect, or if uh, they were oh, just I, had people. I don't know exactly stuff. how they how they were running their set, but most likely on a film set, you you don't have the luxury of waiting all day for one shot. Some look sometimes it does happen. My guess is they were probably shooting all day and then were screwed because they know they want. They, okay, two possibilities. They were shooting all day and making sure that they kept the tightest possible schedule because they knew that they were going to want that shot and you could only get that shot in a window of a couple of minutes. Yeah. Alternatively, they maybe just got incredibly lucky. That's mm-hmm. less likely to me because of how much aggressive, meticulous planning goes into every shot on a movie. Yeah. Um, it is. I guess it's also possible they spent an entire day just waiting for the sun to go down. But more, <laughs> more likely, I think they were shooting all day, and then it got to be close to that hour, and they went scramble, scramble, scramble. Let's get set up so we can get that shot. Right. I mean, it, it couldn't have been that expensive of a movie, though. Like it takes place in ostensibly like six different locations. Um, you know, there's the desert stuff, there's the house stuff, there's the uh, school stuff. There is uh, lots of road, but other than that, we got the booth, um, the hotel, and the uh, bar. According to Wikipedia, the be-all, end-all of factual information on the internet, the production budget of Paris, Texas was approximately $1.8 million, which is, I mean, that's peanuts. Yeah. Well, now. I mean, it's not, well, it's not peanuts for me. I mean, even in, even in 84, that was not a ton of money. I mean... I feel like it may. Have, I mean, I don't know how inflation works, guys. I'm not an economist. Um, but this was was this pre uh, Reagan destroying the economy? Yes. Yes. I, I think. Well, eighty four. We're like, yeah, just just we're on the cusp. Right. I think we we're. I think <laughs> we just we're lost right three before Reaganite followers. <laughs> What are you doing here? Why are you here? Isn't it, isn't it cute it's, that there were there's a whole generation of people that really believed that trickle down economics could ever possibly work? Anyway, well, I mean, you'd have to completely factor out human nature. It only works if absolutely no one is selfish or greedy in the slightest, and people are people. Right. Well, <laughs> this is what you came to this show for, kids. It stuck out to me when we were having the dad dress scene, and the maid was like, "You're either rich or you're poor. There's nothing in the middle." And it's like, well. No. I mean, now there is sort of something in the middle. Yeah, increasingly that's not true. I mean, there was for a minute, for a hot second, there right. was for like a good decade and a half. Mm-hmm. Now that's gone. No, no, no. It's yep. Um, so cool. Uh, I'm gonna start wrapping this baby up. Do it you is, have any it's, last thoughts? It's so tough because it's like I feel like we talked about a lot, and I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of everything that I would want to say about this movie. But, but then I arrive back at. I have such a hard time articulating the feelings. Right. Other than there's something, and it sounds pretentious, but it's not. Sidebar, since I just said the word pretentious, you know what I've realized recently? No one knows what pretentious means oh, or yeah. how to use it. Do they, are they, do they use portentious? No. Oh, I feel like it. fewer people okay. know portent. Uh, but no, people, people seem to think anything that like, I'm trying to think of like, 
like okay something can feel of great significance and you can say like a a, a movie feels like it's of great significance without that being pretentious is a weird example yeah but like if there's no okay for something to be pretentious there has to be pretense which right. means there has to be a putting on of airs you might think somebody is is wrong or dumb but if they're not putting on airs it's by definition not pretentious does that make sense yes a lot of people don't seem to realize that and they think <laughs> anything that's like aspiring for intelligence or aspiring to be like whatever if you know if you if you say to yourself i'm making the great american picture yeah that's pretentious as shit right uh but if you're doing so, like like lynch a lot of people think of david lynch as being super pretentious I don't, I don't think so, you guys. Like, he's, he's weird, for sure. Right. Uh, he's definitely not interested in explaining anything he does to you, but I, it all seems pretty genuine to yeah. me. It, it seems like there is no putting on of errors at all. So, by definition, not pretentious. Yeah. So, it's, of, a, it's a difference between, like, a David Lynch or a Kanye West, where uh, David Lynch is essentially creating what he feels is art, whereas... Uh, Kanye West is always like, I am the greatest voice of this generation. Yes, that's and I make super things. pretentious. Yes. Unless, then the gray area becomes, is Kanye West like truly crazy? If he's truly lost touch with reality, then yes, it is technically still pretentious, but I don't want to point at him and call him anything because he's probably in pain. Uh, but yes. And, and listening the- to this podcast. <laughs> like he's in recovery being like, let's see what I'm missing out on. <laughs> Got to- <laughs> Gotta be some Paris, Texas. Ooh, this uh, is my Kanye voice. Oh, Kanye West. Kanye. I made Jesus walks. Um, <laughs> I made Jesus. That's how he introduces himself yeah. to everybody. Yo, I'm Kanye West. I made Jesus walks. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, <laughs> uh, but but so uh, I, I, that digression only to come back to something about this movie feels so so truly profound to me. And yes, that sounds hyper pretentious. But I, I mean that in earnest. And I don't mean I don't mean if you here's something else, right? People get people get real tight when they don't like something that you liked and you suggest in any way that they didn't get it. And I've learned it's like I don't mean when I say that to somebody, I don't mean you didn't get it because you're dumb. What I mean, and I've I've learned now to correct my phrasing on this, it's not that you didn't understand it. It's mm-hmm. that I experienced something while watching this that you did not experience. Doesn't right. make either one of us wrong. It just means you didn't get not you didn't get it like you didn't understand it. You didn't get from it what I'm getting from it. Right. Um. Why? Why am I saying all this? Oh, just to say that it you might not you might not uh, be hit with this enormous sense of profundity that I feel when I watch this movie. But man, like that's what it that's what this does. Like this is a movie that every time, even if I'm only watching like half an hour of it, I. I find myself like th- uh, uh, just shoved into this really reflective place. Mm-hmm. I start thinking about the world. I start thinking about the country I live in. I, st- I start thinking about who I am in my own perception, who I am in the perceptions of the people who my actions affect, uh, the passage of time. The fact that, that what I was alluding to earlier was that like these, these vistas, this time and place, th- some of these physical landscapes may still exist but they don't exist the way that they existed when they were photographed for this movie because they can't that i feel like a a point like that uh like okay so the title right we haven't even uh, alluded to where the title comes from the title uh paris texas refers to this old tattered photograph that travis carries around for the entire movie and it is a picture of a vacant lot in the town of Paris, Texas. And he says that he owns this piece of land that he has this picture of. Why Paris, Texas? Because apparently that is where his parents uh, made love for the first time and ostensibly conceived him. So he feels this incredible uh, specific connection to this place. Mm-hmm. And then I think about it, it's almost like, uh, you know those memes now where you see it's like somebody's holding a picture of themselves, holding a picture of themselves, holding a picture of themselves, and like you travel through it and it's just an infinite yeah loop right so that picture of that lot he could get to that lot and it may look the same but it's not that was a moment that was a specific point and it wasn't just the physical space that defined that point it was that space at that time Mm -hmm. he's carrying around uh essentially an illusion and it is he never actually goes there in the movie maybe maybe when he puts his wife and his son back together maybe that's when he gets back in that truck maybe that's exactly where he goes but we don't go there with him 
So it's it's essentially much in the way that film is. It's it's this fantasy that he's carrying around, this facsimile of reality. And when you get there, it may not be exactly what you thought because that that was what it was. Mm-hmm. It can't it can't be that now. And that doesn't mean it's it's bad. That doesn't mean it's not valid. It's just it's not going to be this isn't going to go the way you think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh, all of that, I'm hit with all of that. And I end up, every time, again, even if I'm only watching like a piece of this movie, these thoughts end up staying with me. Uh, this weird, like, reflective Mobius strip of uh, perceptions. Mm-hmm. Not, I, I don't know about you, not every movie I see does that for me. Um, not every movie I see, even movies that stay with me, don't, don't so consistently spin the way I perceive reality. Yeah. And again, the movie's not really about, uh, beyond, I think, loosely, the way we, each of us today, perceive our individual realities, but I think that's all there. Yeah. Clearly, it's all there. That's most of what we talked about, I think. Um, But that's what it is, and I feel like I could could struggle, as I've been struggling, uh, for hours more to articulate the the feeling that this movie evokes in me. Yeah. Um. My hope is, uh, if you haven't seen it, and you're listening to this conversation, and you can get past how like weird and abstract and heady it all sounds, um, that you'll check it out, and and I guess my greatest hope, if you do, is that you find yourself as slack jawed by what this movie makes you feel as I am, because mm-hmm. that's that's what this is about, right? Like, isn't that isn't that why we engage with art? Is that we're hoping we enjoy it as much of it as we can. But isn't that why we continue to engage with new art is the hope that eventually we're going to come across something that just smacks us in the face and we just don't, we barely even know how to process. We barely know how to talk through it with somebody else. We just know like something that happened here. And that's, and again, this is not, it's not a jarring movie. It's pretty mellow throughout, Mm -hmm. but it's still, it's got, there's so much, yeah. Uh, there's so much raw like pathos and power and reality and and et cetera et cetera et cetera et cetera and everything that I've been saying uh, yeah it's, it's just it's big man like it's and again like that's why I brought up pretension this mm-hmm. probably sounds super pretentious but I mean it in earnest something about this movie feels so all encompassing yeah I feel like you could take this could be a movie that you take with you onto a desert island mm-hmm. and once you figured out how to you know. Make uh, create, electricity. Create, create power yeah. so you can plug in a, a screen and a player. Um, I think you could watch this movie, maybe not every single day, but I feel like you could come back to this movie every, certainly every month and have a different, same movie, totally different experience with it. I think this is a movie that that looks different depending on where you are in your life. I think it, it looks different, certainly depending on where the world is at compared to where it was when this story was told. Mm-hmm. But I think too, you where where you are. I think it all looks different. The way the way it makes you uh, reflect on your own behavior, your own actions, your own experience. I think is going to change consistently. The older you get, and then too, it's it's it, it going back to the the outsider perspective. I think so much of that power that that the unflinching way in which all of the pieces are examined. I think mm-hmm. you don't get that if it's, if an insider is telling the story. Right. And I think that's why there have been, there have been a number of truly excellent and significant American road movies. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there's never been another like Paris, Texas. And uh, now of course, foreign filmmakers have continued to tell stories about America and will continue to tell stories about America. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that Paris, Texas, really has any competition for its little piece of territory in film history, and I think that's with dang good reason. Yeah, um, I feel like that's a good place to end off. It's like uh, this guy needs to sit down, but you are sitting down. <laughs> this man sounds like he's tired <laughs> <laughs> from being on the road. No, I just Boom. i i i really Tire hope puns. that that all tracks because it's it's a real tough thing to articulate but it's there's you know a yeah lot, there's a lot there right um so yeah i hope that if you haven't checked it out that you take some time to check it out if you have um i hope it made you feel things um if so let us know on a social media 
the show is at Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. But you can also hit us up on our personal social media. I am all over the social media people place things at the Lex Michael. And I am at Tari J. That's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. Uh, make sure to tell your friends about this podcast. Uh, and if you have a chance, hit that five-star thingy on iTunes or leave us a comment also accompanied with five stars um, because that helps us get to the top of the charts and helps other people find us. So do the thing. Um, It's around holiday time, so make sure that you uh, enjoy your families or don't enjoy your families or just have a good time. Breaking breaking news. We'll take a one-week hiatus, and we'll be back, uh, what, before the new year, after the new year? But yeah, take, take that week. Use that time wisely and catch up on our entire back catalog of episodes. Please do. How will you know what we're talking about if you haven't heard every single one? That's true, you and still, we're going to quiz you. You're not going to know. You're going to have no clue. In fact, you'll be more confused. Context only hurts. <laughs> All right, so then we'll we'll take a break for the holiday. We'll take a one week hiatus, and then we will we'll be back, and we'll figure out what we're doing. I'm we we got we're talking to people like cool cool fun people guests coming on talk about some stuff. Yes, yes, a lot yes. of a lot of sweet sweet content content for your for your face. Yes, so Con- we are taking content pillow. Christmas Day off. Because um, that's, that's a Monday, right? Y- the day after Christmas is going to be a Tuesday. Right. Everybody's traveling. Everybody. Yeah, is yeah, too, yeah. I got I got Yuletide business to attend to. I can't be recording podcast. Yes, son. Lex is secretly Santa. Don't tell anyone. Oh, oh, oh. Yep. He's the Futurama Santa. Oh, that's right. There is an evil robot Santa <laughs> in that, isn't there? Um, all right. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Uh, bye. Bye. Ghosts. Bad guys. <laughs> <laughs>